Hey everybody, welcome to Sermons from Centerpoint. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad you're tuning in with us today. This week's sermon is based off Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and verse 10, as well as Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Last week's sermon was all about listening to those voices in our midst whom we might have disqualified. This week's sermon is about preaching to those whom we may have disqualified. We all have those people in our midst whom we have justified our hate for. But the truth of the matter is that since the beginning of Genesis, God has called us to something greater. And we need to be challenged in this hate. Because the truth of the matter is, is in the story of Jonah, God was calling Jonah to preach to the hated Ninevites. So I'll simply ask this question before I pass it off to our liturgist and myself. Who are the Ninevites in your life? Who are the ones that you long to see hurt? Your initial response might be, well, I don't really hate anybody. But is that true? If you think through it in your heart of hearts, who have you disqualified from listening to or from speaking to for whatever reason? Now, I'm not trying to make you feel all guilty. Truth of the matter is, is that this is something I myself struggle with. We're human, after all. But just because we all struggle with it doesn't mean that it's something that we should just accept. Well, here I went to preaching again. I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to our liturgist as well as uh, myself to uh, let you in on this week's sermon. Blessings, everybody. Be well.
We've now come to our time of reading Scripture. <clears throat> and so I invite our liturgist, Ms. Sherry, to read our Scripture, which is... Uh, Jonah, chapter 3, 1 through 5, and verse 10. Now, we probably all know the story of Jonah, but this part tells us how Jonah brought an evil town to the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim it to the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Be to God. <clears throat> and if you'd stand for our gospel reading as you are able, this is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And he went a little farther. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boats, mending their nets. Immediately he, that is Jesus, called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this particular uh, passage from Jonah always makes me feel good. And it's for a completely selfish reason, if I'm going to be honest. Because it's not, uh, it's not that uh, all these people are saved. That is great. That's awesome that God relents. But Jonah's sermon... Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. And imagine if somebody came and said this to us in this day and age, we probably would be like, you're a nut. So, no, so Jonah goes into this place where he's hated, mind you, because he's a Jew, and where he hates the Ninevites. And he preaches a sermon, not out of love, but out of 
stubborn obedience to God. And yet, people come to know him. People repent of their sin, and God relents. But it's specifically great for me because it's not, let's be honest, it's not a terribly eloquent sermon or message, and yet God still works through it. So I could totally flub it up here one, one, one Sunday, but that doesn't mean that God isn't working through my errors <laughs> or my stubborn heart or my sin. So for that reason alone, that selfish reason, I really like this passage. But what kind of a relation does this have to the story of Jesus calling his followers and them dropping their nets and coming to him? Well, let's get to that in just a second. But let's get back to who Jonah was. Jonah was a prophet. He was a well-known prophet. He was a well-off prophet. And if any of you have watched VeggieTales, they actually do a specific video about Jonah. And in the beginning, he is singing and dancing in Jerusalem, and everything is great and dandy. Then God calls, and all of us know the story about Jonah, but if you've ever seen a Veggie Tales, they do it with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor and songs and dancing. In this particular, oh, Josiah actually is reading the book, had the book of Jonah out today. That's funny. <clears throat> but in this particular uh, rendition, Larry the Cucumber gets a message from God that he's supposed to go and deliver this message to Nineveh, and he does not want to do it. And the funny part about VeggieTales is, despite the fact that they are vegetables, they generally tell these stories pretty well. And so they go through the story, and you can see Larry the Cucumber being hesitant to deliver the message, and that is in Scripture. And you can see Jonah wanting to go all the way to the other side of the world just to avoid telling the Ninevites. Right? We all know how the story continues. Jonah gets on the boat out of his stubbornness to, to give this message of repentance to the Ninevites. He goes all the way west across the Mediterranean Sea trying to make his way through. And what ends up happening? But a storm. A storm that rocks the boat. So let me set this image for you for what we see. We've got Jonah a prophet of God, a well-off prophet of God who is well-known in his city, okay? And he is on a non-believer's boat going all the way to the west to escape what he is being called to do. Jonah relents, says, throw me in, Josiah down. Throw me into the water. He gets gobbled up by a giant fish. He's in the belly of the fish for three days. Eventually, he gets spat up onto land. And we know that he actually goes and delivers this message to Nineveh. All the while being reluctant and stubborn and not wanting to do it. And we, want, we know this is true. 
Because after Jonah delivers the message, there's a small part after this scripture, right, where he gets up on a hilltop overlooking Nineveh, and he takes a sit down, and he is waiting for the judgment of the Lord. He is an Israelite, and he hates these people. He wants to see them suffer and break and be hurt. So even in his stubborn obedience, even in his hardness of heart, God still shows Jonah a small bit of mercy. He gives them this, this plant that like grows up pretty much instantly and gives him shade, and Jonah is thankful. He still sits there overlooking the city self-righteous, waiting for the city to burn, to see meteors fall from heaven on Nineveh just like it did in Sodom. But God does something different, as we know. One, he relents the people uh, from destroying the people of Nineveh because of their repentance. And two, he sends a small worm to eat through the plant that he just grew that was giving Jonah shade. Jonah's response can only be described as a three-year-old toddler who has not been given the peanut butter and jelly sandwich that they wanted at that exact moment. He throws a tantrum. And God speaks to Jonah and says, Dude, you care more about this plant than these people. Now, we're going to come back to the story of Jonah. But let's skip over here to the story of these fishermen, these actual fishermen that God is going to be turning into fishers of men. Right? Jesus comes to these people. Now, all of these apostles that he ends up recruiting are fishermen. Now, at first glance, it might just be like, okay, these are regular people. And they are. But we need to pry this back a little bit further. Because Israelite men, ever since the age of four, were sent to the synagogue, and I think I've told all of you this before, were sent to the synagogue to begin learning the Torah, memorizing it, learning it, learning from their rabbi. From about four until eight, that was their job. Right? At age eight, the best of the best went on to learn more, the writings, the prophets. The best of the best of that group at the age of 12 continued to move on. And hopefully by the age of eight, like 16-ish, they would mentor under a young rabbi in the hopes of becoming a rabbi themselves. Now, if at any point on this trajectory you were not up to snuff at age eight, at age 12, at age 16, you'd go back and learn the family trade. So what we know is that these sons of Zebedee at some point were not up to snuff. That they had failed in the process of trying to become rabbis that their culture, that the systems that were in their culture essentially said, we don't think you're worthy of this position. 
Now, we can argue about the merits of that system, and et cetera, et cetera, but that's not the point. The point here is that these people by no means were of the same stature and wisdom and intelligence as Jonah. Because all too often, we as a people can put a value on those things and it could be all for naught. Now granted, Jonah obeyed. And that's a good thing. But it is clear throughout Scripture that his heart was hard. Now let's go back to these fishermen. That Jesus comes, and here's the important part about this story. Well, there's several important parts about this story. But the fact that Jesus, a rabbi, in his own accord, come to these people who failed at some point in their time to become rabbis and says, I see value in you, is huge and cannot be underestimated. Because one of the things that Jesus Christ does is he is continually subverting the culture. There is a woman who was caught in adultery, but he who has not sinned cast the first stone. There's a woman who's been bleeding for years who touches the hem of his robe and is immediately healed. She's unclean, but Jesus heals her and doesn't relegate her to the outskirts of society as prescribed by Mosaic law. The good Samaritan, these people who are supposed to be hated by the Jewish people, the Samaritans, are elevated to a position of honor, so much so that that parable in and of itself, just those three words, the good Samaritan, is still alive today. Jesus Christ, through that parable, not only trashes this idea of who is worthy or not, but so much so that people in our day and age don't even think of a Samaritan being a bad thing. He goes to these failures and helps them to become rabbis because Jesus is starting this upside-down kingdom. So what does this mean for us? What do these stories mean for us in this day? First off, a warning. Just because somebody is in churchy clothes and is intelligent and wise and charismatic doesn't necessarily mean that their heart is with God. It's a warning for all of us to beware. Last week, we also talked about the idea of uh, listening to other voices that, that God has brought into our midst, that maybe God is using. And the fishermen are exactly that. In the beginning of, Ch of Acts, keep in mind, we've got 
these uh, apostles who are up in this uh, room above the inn, right? And they're all standing there. The Holy Spirit comes in, fills every single one of them to the brim. Peter goes out and they begin speaking. And everybody hears the words of Peter in their own tongue. Aramaic, Greek, Hebrew, all the other manner of languages that are present at that time, Egyptian, everybody hears it. Okay? They dismiss him as being a drunk, as those apostles as being drunkards. Peter's just a fisherman. They might have saw him with that outlaw rabbi who was executed, but nonetheless, he had a message to tell. And on that day, 3,000 men were fished for. So the point is this. God can absolutely use what he has blessed us with to give his message. I don't want to demean all people of intelligence and wisdom and charisma because God can absolutely use those talents. But it is a matter of discernment for us as believers to see these to, to listen to these voices, to evaluate their words, and to let it stand against Scripture itself. That's one. Two is that God can use any one of us to give his message. Maybe it's through an act of kindness. Maybe it's through a word of kindness. Maybe it's through boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. But in all these things, God makes all of us fishers of men. Because here's the funny part about this story, is that we are all these brothers. We are all these people. And we need this realization that it's not your intelligence, it's not your charisma, it's not your wisdom that gives the word of God to this people, but it's God's presence in you. So it doesn't matter if you don't think you always have the right words. It doesn't matter if you're not always certain what to do. Because here is the crux of the Christian message. That it's not your work or anything that you do that goes about propagating the kingdom of God, but rather it is the Holy Spirit at work through you. There are people who resist this call and people who submit to this call. There are Jonah's and there are Peter's. And in your heart of hearts, I invite you to ask yourself, which one are you? And to be clear, I'm not telling all of you to run out to the closest street corner and start saying, Jesus saves! John 3.16! 
I'm asking us to live lives that reflect Christ in all that we do. And are you resistant to that? Or are you submissive to that? Do we let God shine through us regardless if we are a elevated prophet or a lowly fisherman? How do you react? How do we go about? Where is your heart in this matter? Where's my heart in this matter? Because God is calling you. We have heard the message of heaven that Jesus Christ came and lived a godly life showing compassion and goodness and love and care to people who didn't deserve it. And so are you going to do it? All right, so this is a three-point sermon. Normally I don't do three points, but our first point doesn't matter what characteristics you have, okay? God can use you. Second point, right, is that, uh, I got my second point. <laughs> Sorry, second point is, are you resistant to that call or are you submissive to that call? Final point is who we are called to preach to, who we are called to live for, who we are called to send our message to. For Jonah, it was the hated Ninevites. Those people who he thought were despicable, who were scum, who were less than, who he had convinced in his mind's eye weren't worth anything, and that were the enemy of God and man. For these fishermen, it was the Romans, it was the Samaritans, it was all of those other people in that great melting pot that was Jerusalem at the time to go and preach to them. Because on that day that 3,000 were saved, it didn't say that 3,000 Jews were saved, it said 3,000 people were saved. Are you willing, even in stubborn obedience, to deliver the message of the cross to the Ninevites in your life? Are you willing to deliver the message of to the cross to the Romans that have conquered your land? To the Samaritans who seem to be people who have betrayed the original faith and who aren't who they were. Because whether you want to hear it or not, God is calling us to them. Who are those people? Who are those groups in your life that you dislike, that you demean, that you hate? that in your deepest heart of hearts, you might not want to say aloud, 
But God knows. And are you willing to submit to his call to speak to those Ninevites in your life, to those Samaritans? See, now we can understand Jonah's hardness of heart. There are all manner of people in this world that we can justify our hatred for. But just because we can justify it doesn't mean that God has justified it. And if I might be so bold to say, if you are justifying such hate in your life, you are on the throne of your heart and not God. Because God has called us to something bigger. God has called us to preach and to speak to our own Ninevites, to our own Samaritans. How do we view them? How do we love them? doesn't matter what you're equipped with. God can use you. Are you going to submit or are you going to resist? Can you submit to the fact that God loves the very people you don't love? That God loves the people you hate or are apathetic towards? And can you let Him change your heart so that you might so the eyes of your heart might be opened so that you view those same people through God's own eyes y'all this is the message of the cross that though we were enemies of God in our own sin and broken, not relenting and not letting go of that which we white knuckle held on to, that even in the midst of that, God sent His Son for you. It might be a little bit easier for us to view those enemies of ours that we hate, that we don't like, with a little bit more love when we realize we ourselves were enemies of God. In our sin, and even in that sin, God sent His Son for you. And so if He can send His Son for you, might He lay down our old hates, our old grudges, our old vengeance, our old hurt, stubborn spirits at the foot of the cross for the sake of the cross, for the sake of His message, so that people might come to know Him in a powerful way, just like you did when you were an enemy. Because that is what we are called to do as friends. That is what we are called to do as a people of God. I've used the story once before, but I'm going to say it again. St. Patrick, that beloved saint, 
spent years kidnapped in Ireland. Kidnapped by a people who abused him, who enslaved him. He finally makes his way out and goes back to England, becomes a bishop, and he is appointed to Ireland. He goes back to Ireland. The people who enslaved him, the people who treated him as less than, And he loved them. Can we do the same? Paul continually talks about letting the old man die so that Christ might live through us. And he wants to live through you. So let's let him. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your mercy and your compassion and your love and how God, you continually work in us day after day. We give you thanks that even though we still sin, Even as your people, you still love us. You still care for us. That even though we do things that are not in accordance with who you are and your character, you call us to your side and make us your children. Help us, Lord God. Help us to look at the people of this world, those whom we dislike, whom we hate, whom we find reprehensible. And Father God, we ask that you would help us to see that in our hearts and convict us. That you would help us to become your people more and more every day. That we don't be like Jonah waiting for balls of fire to fall upon our enemies, but that, Father God, you might give us hearts like St. Patrick, that yearn to see a people redeemed, that yearn to see a people repent. Help us to be submissive to that, O Father God, to your call on our life, so that we might be true Christians, so that we might be a people who truly represent you and love you, so that we ourselves might be windows of heaven because we laid down our old lives. With you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.